Good morning. Welcome to the inaugural HCR Horizons podcast. My name's Martin Davis. I'm a corporate solicitor in the firm's Cardiff office, and I'm very pleased to welcome David Blake from Development Bank of Wales. He's an investment executive in the TVI team, which is the Technologies Venture Investment Team. I think, is that right, David? Yeah, that's correct. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, so this is the first HCR Horizons podcast. So we'll be looking to run a series of these over the course of the next 18 months um, and looking to do undertake one-on-one interviews with interesting and prominent people in the tech space. Um, and hopefully this will be of interest to, well, lots of people, I suspect, um, investee companies looking to raise money, um, investors, angel networks, all these advisors, everyone in the local um, eco space. So without further ado, um, we'll, we'll kick things off with David. Um, thanks very much, David, for, for agreeing to participate. Um, I'd like to take the opportunity to hand the mic across and just ask you to give us a bit of a steer, a bit of insight into what Development Bank of Wales does, the objectives, what it looks to do, um, and then we'll go into a bit more detail about your role and the, the TVI team, if that's all right. Thank you, Martin. Uh, absolute pleasure to be, uh, to be on this with you today. So, yeah, so a little bit about the Development Bank of Wales. Um, I mean, our, our main remit is to support uh, finance for starting, growing, buying businesses, as well as technology ventures and property development. We also look after the Help to Buy Wales um, scheme as well. Uh, this year, we actually reached about £1.9 billion asset under management. Uh, over the last five years, we've invested something like half a billion pounds uh, into Welsh businesses, leveraging £365 million of uh, private investment as well as um, 305 million delivered through the Help to Buy Wales scheme. Broadly, we've supported 3,000 businesses in that period and supported 32,000 jobs, which we believe has an impact on the Welsh economy to the tune of about 1.2 billion pounds. In the last year, for example, we uh, invested directly into companies 109 million. That went into 500 companies and safeguarded 3,500 jobs. So uh, and, and, and we cover um, debt and equity for, for companies as well. That's quite an impressive um, set of statistics. Um, there's obviously a lot of businesses out there which are, which are obviously reaping the rewards of, of not only um, being Welsh businesses um, and, and setting up here initially, but I also understand that there's scope for businesses to actually come to Wales to then um, reap the rewards and take advantage um, of, of, of getting investment from um, the Development Bank of Wales, which I understand um, does happen. Um, I know we've, we've had a chat offline about some of the success stories that you yourself personally, um, or th- through the TVI team, have, have been involved in. Um, are you able to give us a bit of a steer as to what some of those have looked like, um, the particular industries or sectors that you guys in the TVI team look at, um, and and what benefits those are those are bringing to the Welsh economy and to um, to to Wales and, and further afield as a whole. So if if I just explain to you firstly uh, about our technology ventures investment team. So we're we're broadly a team of sixteen people. 
um, varying skills, uh, PhDs in um, life sciences, uh, backgrounds in software engineering, as well as uh, fintech, uh, and a, a number of other PhDs across our team. Uh, broadly, we are sector agnostic. Uh, we typically see about a third of our portfolio is based in life science, a third in software, and a third in hardware. Typically, we're investing in about 40 companies every year, and that really looks like um, investments of about 12 to 15 million every year going into these companies. We've got a seed fund that targets very early stage businesses, um, and we have the ability to invest up to 250,000 pounds into those. And then the next stage up is our venture funds, where you know we have the remit to be able to invest several million, typically over several rounds though. Uh, to, to support the growth of these technology businesses. So to your, your uh, first point, uh, we do work with companies to, to bring them into Wales, and I've actually had the pleasure of doing that directly myself. And I'll say, you know, while we've got a, a quite a large portfolio of, of companies um, uh, with a, a number of successful companies within it, I'll talk specifically about the ones that, that I've worked with. So um, Spaceforge, uh, which is a, a really good example of an inward investment that we were able to bring in, um, I think it was about two years ago, uh, at a very early stage from our seed fund. And uh, this is a company that in the next month or so will actually be uh, uh, launching their first returnable and reusable satellites um, via the Virgin Orbit launcher in, in Cornwall. And this is a company that we've seen grow from, you know, the initial founders to a team of 40-odd rocket scientists, literally based um, two miles down the road from where our office is. And, you know, that, that's a, that's a cutting-edge um, company that is uh, essentially going to be enabling the ability for uh, the manufacture of ad advanced materials uh, in lower Earth orbit. I mean, it's pretty out there as far as um, technology is concerned. Another example would be um, a, a blockchain middleware company called Finboot, who I had the pleasure of being able to bring in. Um, predominantly, their company was based in Spain at the time. and We've been able to, to relocate them to Wales and grow the team here. And this is a company that is fundamentally focused on disrupting the supply chains of a number of the world's largest um, organizations. Uh, and it, again, is kind of leading the way as far as uh, that blockchain sector is going, which is obviously um, a, a rapidly growing area. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't say um, CoinCover as well, who uh, were an existing company based in Wales. But we, you know, we've had the ability to see them grow to 50-odd employees in the space of, of two years, growing at an absolutely phenomenal rate. And again, leading the way in... A, in the digital wallet protection space, which is, um, you know, makes them a, a category king market leader and, you know, absolutely amazed across those three companies and, and the rest of the portfolio um, with, you know, with the success that we, that we see across these companies and the impact that that has on Wales. Thanks, David. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to hear that we've got these 
such strong um, businesses in Wales that are doing groundbreaking things in, you know, to think space. I mean, once upon a time, that was seen as sort of NASA territory and there was no one um, in the private sector who would go near it with a barge pole and then sort of SpaceX comes along. I mean, space as an industry has become something that has certainly piqued a lot of people's interest. Um, it's one that is very easy to get, I guess, excited over because it's, you know, the, a lot of the technologies that are coming out of it are going to be brown, groundbreaking. And they, they essentially, it, it's that, you know, it, it's that technology that, that's not going to be around in a year's time or two years. We're kind of talking five, 10, 15 year horizons and, and the impact that this has on Earth. And, and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement around the fact that, you know, that the, this is a, it's essentially a new frontier and the opportunities for, um, being market leaders in in this area are, are vast because you know the 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 technologies are new so you know we we're able to position ourselves as as being um a market leaders in these areas and you know one of the things i really hope is uh spaceforge which i believe is the largest space company based in wales uh, at the moment you know will be able to encourage further space companies to develop around them and we'll create a cluster around them as well and 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 that i guess is what we would have seen in silicon valley maybe 20 or 30 years ago when you started to see the clustering of those technology businesses and then how it kind of span and turned into the the behemoth that it really is today but um you know hopefully we'll be able to to create the same in wales going forward with with I mean, not just space, but also um, the blockchain and cryptocurrency skills that, 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 that we're, we're developing and we're, we're seeing um, come along quite quickly, and as well as all the other life science stuff that we're doing. Yeah, and to, and to sort of link in with that, I mean, I know that there's been a massive investment um, made by a lot of the universities in South Wales to sort of ensure that there's a outpouring of, of skilled people so that when these businesses are starting starting up or or relocating to Wales that there is the sort of pool of resources there to ensure that you know the the, the skilled workforce is there to help these businesses flourish so David if I'm if I'm um, uh, an early stage you know well, let's stick with the space theme because I think that's really exciting so if I'm an early stage space um, business uh, pre-revenue I, I suspect given the nature of the industry um, based, you know, overseas or, or across the bridge. And I'm, I, you know, I help me luckily listening to this podcast and I'm thinking really like the sound of what David is saying around, you know, the, the businesses which are, which are here, which are, you know, going into that sector. What, if they were thinking about coming to Wales, what should they be thinking about? What, what would you be looking for if you had a call from, let's say, somewhere, a, a business over in Bristol who was thinking about relocating into Wales with the expectation or the hope that they could take advantage of some of the funds which Development Bank of Wales has to offer. What are the sort of the key things that you would be looking for um, you know, to, to initially have that view as to whether or not there's scope for investment, if I can do that, if there is such a, if there is such a checklist? Well, I think... Um the, the obvious one to point out and the clues in our title, the Development Bank of Wales, uh, is that there would need to be a Welsh presence for your business. And, and, you know, commonly we're being asked, you know, what does that really look like? And, you know, in, in practice, that, that, that means uh, objectively, if someone's looking at your business, do they, 
can, can they overtly see that it is a, a Welsh-based business? And, and you know, what does that look like for companies that we've invested in previously? Well, that looks like you've got an office or a facility um, that's based in Wales and you've got uh, a number of team members that are going to be based in that facility. I mean, it's great with space because um, you, you tend to need a, a facility where there's, you know, testing and, and science type stuff going on. They need the laboratories. So it's quite easy to have um, a designated space. It becomes, a, I think, a bit more complicated maybe for software businesses where, you know, one of the things we're certainly seeing is a, a push towards um, software developers wanting to be working remotely from maybe anywhere in the world. So it becomes a little harder to objectify what that looks like. But in practice, there's a whole host of other kind of um departments within a company that i guess could could be based uh, w w you know within within our borders and and again you know one of the other things that that we look for is we're a co-investor so we make up up to about 50% of a round so typically what we'd be looking for is other investors to be coming um you know interested in investing in the company and sometimes you know when a company comes to us they will say um, well, we've not currently got any co-investors lined up. Well, sometimes we'll be able to kind of work with them and introduce them to other uh, potential investors in the area, whether that's high net worths or other investment funds, or they will come with a already with a um, a round that's almost full, and they'll say, "Look, we've got a space. You know, would would you uh, would you be able to to fill it? And you know, we'd, we'll be able to look at it." But I think more. Uh, object uh, more objectively you know taking a, a a step aside from the the welsh presence and and our co-investment requirements what we're really focusing on is what does the management team look like what are the skills of the management team and is it relevant for the business that they're creating so for example we're talking about space um if i had somebody who was coming from uh, background in financial services who is telling me they've come up with this great idea for um, this new kind of satellite that was going to revolutionize the world that's going to look a bit harder to support compared to a, a, a team of people who've come out of a, a previous satellite company who've already got the experience of developing it and I can see Martin's kind of laughing at me but we we, 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 we do get examples of I mean maybe not quite as extreme as that but certainly um, certainly uh, with, with that in mind. I mean, that said, there are ways that companies can um, build support around themselves so that they do have that knowledge-specific um, expertise within the business. And that could look like bringing a number of NEDs in around them to be able to support them with the knowledge or uh, working with advisors to be able to, to help them build that um, knowledge that they need to be able to... Um, demonstrate that they would be a credible management team to support. Excellent, thanks, David. That's, that's, I, I imagine that would be very helpful um, for for the people who are who are, who are listening to this and and are thinking about either you know pushing forward with their existing business in Wales or or looking to relocate um, at least part of that of that business to uh, to support and grow the the local Welsh economy, which is which is which is great for for, for all concerned. Yeah, thanks, David. That's very helpful. I mean, as I as I say, you must be inundated with with applications from early stage businesses looking for looking for funding. I mean, what are the what are the five sort of common mistakes you see on a fairly frequent basis 
the early stage businesses make when they're sort of making contact with the development bank? So I think firstly, uh, when you're looking to raise uh, money for your business, you know, understanding the requirements of your investors is is probably a, 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 a very good starting point. So, for example, we are a technology investment fund, which means we focus on companies that have got a, a, a very strong technology moat. Um, what does that mean in practice? Well, that could be um, strong IP, or that could be, you know, 12 to 24 months worth of hard technical development to essentially give yourselves um, a head start ahead of uh, what the competitors might look like. You know, one of the one of the things that becomes a lot more difficult for us when we see pitch decks and that are opportunities where it would be very easy for competitors to be able to follow to follow you, even if it's a you know a groundbreaking idea. Uh, if it if it's quite straightforward for somebody to get a template version of it and build it themselves it's going to be very difficult for us to invest in um uh, you know another area that we, we typically see um businesses kind of struggling with is kind of understanding what their you know how much they need to raise and articulating correctly um you know what the funding round needs to look like to get them through to a certain milestone so um you know what i will sometimes see will be a company will say look we we want to raise 200k now we want to raise 200k in three months time and we we'll want to raise 200k uh, again at the end of the year uh, and you know I, I think one of the things that companies need to understand is fundraising takes a lot of time and effort from the founders and you know one of the best ways to do it is just try to fill your boots when you can objectively when I look at an opportunity, typically we're looking to see that the company is going to be raising enough money to get them through 12 to 18, maybe even at, you know, in the current climate, 24 months of runway. And, and that will typically be straight burn as opposed to taking into account any perspective revenue that a company might make, I guess, depending on um, the stage and the level of certainty that that revenue could be predicted. Um, but that would that that would certainly be a, an area where um, companies tend not to think so much about that kind of longer term picture. Then, um, I guess one of the other points is companies being able to demonstrate that there is a sufficient and compelling enough reason for them to have a the service or product that they're offering. I mean, I, I think it's quite easy to 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 have that kind of eureka moment and think I've got this great idea but actually validating whether this is something that people not just want but are actually prepared to pay for uh, that is obviously a very subjective area uh, certainly at an early stage when you might not have an MVP even or maybe even a, a, a demo of what the product or service might look like but there are other ways that this can be um, quantified I guess that would be through you know the through talking to prospective customers and confirming that there's an interest in the product or not. And then I think, well, I think I kind of alluded to it before, but the, you know, one of, the, one of the main points is underestimating quite how long it will take to raise funding. We typically get companies that come to us and say, I need funding last month, or it's almost an immediate requirement. And in practice, you know, we advise companies that in, in a smooth sailing 
um, situation. It could take typically three months end-to-end -to, -end to get through um, the introductions through to the completion and, and the, the transfer of money. And that, I think, can be a bit of a surprise for people, but there's quite a lot, there's quite a lot that needs to happen in that, in that uh, process, and sometimes it can be quicker. But other times it can also be longer, and there, you know, there tends to be a couple of hang-ups, um, areas where there can be delays, and certainly in the you know the first stage where you're kind of waiting for the term sheets to be issued, and you're trying to bring a number of parties to the table at the same time, there can be a lot of um, wrangling around that stage uh, to be able to get to a, a, I guess a term sheet that is acceptable to all participators uh, in the round. And then typically then there's a due diligence phase that's a bit more a bit easier to predict sub subject to there being any kind of really big curveballs. Uh, and then typically then there's a, a legal process phase where that can that can be very the timings for that can be very subjective depending on who's involved with um, the transaction and how many solicitors are involved. From the development bank's perspective, we work with a, a, a pretty standard um, templates for our legal documents, which can speed up the process. But sometimes when we're working with um, solicitors who are not used to working on kind of complex investment deals, um, there can be a lot of pushback or time wasted in those stages. So, you know, I would say having good legal advice for the companies, good, good counsel during that process will help speed things along um you know much more quickly than, than than you would have thought good i mean i can i can firsthand confirm that to be you know the development bank of wales investment documents certainly for tvi uh are some some of the most generous to the investee company that i've ever come across um and I'm confident in saying that because I was one of the people involved in in drafting those <laughs> those documents in a, in a in a previous life. So no, they yeah they are they are very generous. Um, and as you say, I mean, I guess the the expectation that investee companies just come along and and they just the check is written and and the deal is done is yeah. Uh, it just just doesn't happen, um, and I, I strongly suspect that it's the businesses that come along with the expectation that the cash is going to be freely available, and 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 is going to be provided you know a month earlier because they're they're really up against it, are probably likely to be the companies where once you start doing the the kicking of the tires and the and the commercial and legal DD are probably going to have the most issues and therefore the longer um, drawn out process is certainly my experience when when dealing with um, early stage businesses looking to looking to raise okay um, you touched on earlier that you know development bank you know typically coin well they, they always um, invest alongside others whether that be um, angel networks or or other venture capital um, outfits or funds yeah, other venture capital funds in, in the market. Who do you typically see in the, in, in the Welsh market, um, David? I mean, not just who invest alongside Development Bank of Wales, but I suspect those who do invest in the Welsh market will typically co-invest alongside you guys because you've got the local presence, you've got the knowledge um, of what's happening in the local market. But who do you see sort of... Cause, I know that obviously in you know in the bigger English cities in London, there's a wealth of funds out there. But 
in Cardiff or in Wales generally, there, there isn't that sort of abundance of venture capital um, funds here. So I think it would be interesting for people to, to understand, you know, who else is potentially looking in the market and, and who could be looking to sort of co-invest along, alongside Development Bank of Wales. I, the the markets in the venture capital markets in London are almost frenetic. I mean, it, it, there seems to be so many funds kind of popping up all of the time. I mean, in Wales, this is there are there are significantly fewer uh, participants in in this kind of investment stage of businesses. And I guess depending on whether we're talking um, seed or or kind of the later stage ventures, but you know certainly at the uh, seed stage, you know, the the majority of people that we're seeing participating uh, here will be uh, angel networks. Um, I mean, fortunately, DBW, we have uh, our own Angel Invest Wales platform where companies are able to be kind of promoted across the angel network that we have here in Wales, um, which is a, it's, it's great for them to be able to access that, that kind of network of high net worth individuals, as well as Typically, we'll be investing alongside other angel syndicates and other EIS and SEIS funds. I mean, they they tend to be a lot more fortunate. They, they are not um, necessarily regionally disposed in the same way that we are, so they can deploy capital wherever. And one of the things we do, we you know, we try to do uh, with companies that we're we're trying to invest into is uh, providing those. Um, introductions to to suitable funds um that you know will be based probably at, in bristol or or manchester in in a number of cases um and then i mean moving into the kind of later stage stuff though uh, once we've got companies that have got the traction and uh, and uh um you know have got that kind of market interest actually we've what we've seen more recently is a number of large U.S. funds actually kind of stepping in and participating. And, you know, I think that's really a result of um, COVID. I guess that kind of uh, two-year period where all venture capitalists were taking their meetings via Teams or other video conferencing facilities. I, I'd suddenly kind of, I, it feels that it's kind of opened up the, the, the world to, to funding. And I guess... In, in the kind of wider context of uh, US valuations being very high, I guess in theory, UK valuations look cheaper. Uh, and I guess that same thing could be said uh, in some regards between London and Wales. So I guess what we're seeing slowly is kind of capital being re, um, reallocated. But as you said, I think a number of uh, VCs quite like the ability to be able to co-invest alongside us especially because of our knowledge of the area and, and the ability to be able to bring a company in and you know especially if it's an inward investment and get them settled and introduced to the people that they need to within the networks so yeah thanks david i mean it's good it's good to know that there are you know Little Old Wales is is on the radar for some of the big from the big VC funds over over in the states, which is you know I think that's a lot of credit has got to go to the sort of Welsh government and and Development Bank of Wales in sort of persevering um, and almost having the whole um, startup market on your shoulders for so long, um, and now it's getting the sort of much wider recognition, um, which is which is great to see. Um, 
I mean, to, talking about the US and, and, and what's happening at, at the moment, I mean, there's, I was reading an article in the FT last week talking about, you know, valuations and, and down rounds and what's happened with Klarna and uh, on their latest fundraise. And with the, with the prospect of a, a recession looming, you know, is, is now the time when VCs are, are looking at, you know, their, their investee companies and, and possibly re reevaluating it, um, looking at those valuations and, and maybe taking a step back, dropping those valuations down, um, given what's what's happening in the wider global economy. Do you, have you seen any of that sort of happening or or not? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the the first six months of this year, we, we, we've definitely seen valuations coming down quite significantly. The, I mean, everything always lags a bit behind the public markets. I think initially we saw that private prices were... Uh, standing up quite well compared to um, the public markets, which I guess started to drop off around Christmas time uh, last year. Uh, but what we've slowly started to see is um, the private markets slowly coming down, and and then um, you know as that kind of trickles through lower kind of price earnings or revenue multiples that we'd, we'd typically be looking at. We, you know, we, we're definitely seeing a bit of a pullback from those kind of racier valuations. And I mean, I think Klarna was a, a great example of, a, of a, I guess, a, a, a reset. And I think what we've seen is a bit more nervousness around um, these kind of racier valuations. But I think where these companies that are performing to the levels that... Um, are very, you know, very, very fast growth. I think what we are still seeing is the appetite to support those at, at those kind of valuations. It's not really an issue because there's only, you know, there's, there's very few of those companies that are growing in, in the markets that are um, particularly attractive to, to these VCs. And, you know, one of the things we do know is at the start of this year, more money had been raised by VC, VC funds than ever had been before, in, in any year previously, I should say, rather than uh, at all. Uh, but they seem to be sat, sitting on it and, and, and using it as dry powder, waiting for the right opportunities to come along. And I think one of the things that you know, we, we, have t we have seen, I mean, we have seen this, is um, VC funds are typically looking to support their existing portfolio so the investments are still happening, but they're happening into their portfolio companies as opposed to new investments. Uh, I guess the interesting thing about uh, the Development Bank and TVI's remit is that um, we, are, we are still deploying capital at, uh, at an incredibly fast rate. And, you know, we are, I think, pretty busier now than we have been 12 months ago. And I, I think that is probably a result of seeing that... Um, Opportunities are, um, I guess, not not necessarily being funded by. It's less competitive in the market. I, I think is what, what what we're seeing. And just to my point earlier about valuations decreasing, there is also a lag then between what we're seeing um, founders valuing their companies at compared to where investors are looking to invest in their companies, and that can be a bit of a an area to trip up. So, uh, if I if I give you a, an example, you know, we we can. What will typically happen is somebody will say, "Oh, look, I found a comparative company that was in Silicon Valley. Valley it raised 
five million, uh, 20 million pre-money and it's got no revenue. Well, I mean, in, pra in practice, while that might have happened in that one story in isolation, it's, you know, it's a lot harder to really see that, um, you know, it would be supported uh, by by investors in, in this country. And, and what I always think of is, it's actually the, the price you're going to get, the pre-money valuation or the amount that you're going to raise is, is going to be an element of supply and demand. You're going to talk to a number of VCs. They're going to give you the prices that they think is right. You know how much you need to raise. And at some point, you're going to find that, that, that perfect spot where it, where, where it works. And I guess what you don't want to happen is set your price so high to begin with that you're in a position where you can't fill your round, which is another example of you know a reason why it can take a long time to, to 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 close an investment round out because you're still waiting for those other investors to come along, and not responding quick enough to the fact that the markets have changed, um, I guess could leave you in a situation where you're still trying to raise funds. And and you know I think that's probably likely to have happened to companies that have started to raise perhaps in the last three months where they're in a position where they still have the kind of historical evidence that they should be raising at a certain valuation, but they're not finding investors quick enough to be able to close the round out. Yeah, I think valuations is always is always a tricky is a is a tricky one for founders. Um, and yeah, as you say, looking back at historical historical evidence is helpful. But when the market's moving fairly quickly, um, and it different geography, then it it makes it very difficult. Um, so yeah, I think you we could have a separate podcast just on valuations, <laughs> to be honest, and the the issues that that, that people have. But. No, that's 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 very helpful. Well, thank you very much for for being the guinea pig and and coming along to be the uh, the first uh, participant. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure um, to listen to your insights, and I'm sure, hopefully, those listening will will reap the rewards and and take a lot from it. So, yeah, thank you very much, and and thanks for ho for hosting at the very nicely refurbished Development Bank of Wales offices. So, I'd suggest. Uh, for those investee businesses out there, you should come come and have a look. Um, and again, if people have got questions from any of the the, the content that we we've put out on this podcast, then feel free to reach out to me and and likewise to, to David. I'm, I'm I'm sure we'd both be happy to uh, to take any questions. So, thank you very much, and we'll no doubt be in touch with uh, with episode two. Keep listening.